Sony. Hello, Canada. Today's date is February 12th, 2023. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense, Canada's Issues in Under an Hour. It is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. How goes it, my man? Ah, pretty good. Pretty good. I've, uh, I, I actually have something that I just want to bring our listeners' attention to before we get started on the show. Um, there, you've heard us talk about Ellis Ross on this show before. He's a BC politician. He's uh, First Nation Heisla. Uh, area in BC. The um, he is. He, he ran for the leadership of the BC Liberals, um, but was but finished second to uh, Kevin Falcon. Um, and I have always stated my support for him. Um, he is a conservative minded fellow. He's, he's not, uh, because as everyone knows, the BC Liberal Party is not strictly liberal. There, it's like a coalition party. There's uh, when the, um, when the BC, uh, Social Credit Party, which was conservative, uh, folded after the Vanderzam, the Bill Vanderzam uh, uh, controversy and 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 everything. They folded the party, and the remaining members joined the Liberal Party. Kind of somewhat hijacked it, uh, voted their own people into leadership positions and into the uh, uh, party leadership, and um, and kind of took over the party. Now it has kind of morphed back to being more of a liberal party, but Ellis Ross is one of those few few people left in the party that actually is conservative. And um, he got up in the House of Commons this, or sorry, the uh, BC legislature this week and gave a speech. It's half an hour long, but and I've only listened to half of it so far. Tony's only gotten through about nine, nine and a half minutes of the uh, speech so far. But we both agree, like it is an absolute travesty that this guy was not elected premier of BC. Like he he gives an impassioned speech about the about all the problems that BC has right now and how it relates to uh, First Nations standings within the province, uh, how the uh, um, the BC or sorry, the Canadian Indian Act is still uh, oppressing First Nations, which we have dis- discussed on the show. Um, the uh, and how uh, how the relations between First Nations and the rest of Canada is uh, how it can be improved and how it can be saved and how we can all work together and live together in one cohesive family. And it is well worth the listen. It is, it's long, but it is impassioned. It is uh, well thought out. It's, he's so well-spoken. I just, I, I was like blown away by, by this speech. And it is a shame that he is not the premier of BC. Yep. Agreed. Well said. All right. So Canada, we've got a good one for you today. On the show today, weather balloon? What weather balloon? How expensive is it to retire in Canada? Oh, John Tory. 
wokeism in the country, and more. Where do you want to start, sir? Well, let's let's talk about weather balloons. Yeah, because well, I mean, uh, I can't say that they are are spy satellites or spy balloons, but the third one this week and what's in the news right now is yesterday there was one shot down over the Yukon and I find it really funny that they're saying that Justin Trudeau ordered it be shot down and there was an American F-22 from Anchorage that actually ended up doing the deed and shooting it down and not that our CF-18s couldn't have made it from Cold Lake to get there in fact I believe it was a joint exercise but our CF-18s weren't really equipped to get the high-altitude takedown that the F-22s were. So, yay, NORAD. Yeah. Thank you, America. Yep. <laughs> yep. For, for, keeping uh, that, for keeping that balloon out of our airspace. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I mean, it makes me think of the, with the first balloon they caught that, well, made it all the way across Canada and... Marco serial liar Mendicino, our Minister of Public Safety, didn't even inform Canadians that that first balloon had made it all the way across our country before getting into the States, and they let it go all the way across their country before taking it down. And yeah. I never even actually heard about a second balloon, and now suddenly there's this third balloon that, that uh, was taken down. So, um, yeah. yeah, way to go, Canada. I, I would love to have known about these balloons spying on us and surveying our terrain yeah it's it's funny because um like the u.s even though they shot down the first one they're under fire from their own people because they let this thing go all the way across the u.s and send whatever information it was getting back to china allegedly and yeah allegedly and then they shot it down over the ocean where it's really, really hard to recover anything. And they, <laughs> they go, oh, it's a spy balloon, but let it spy and we'll shoot it down when it's safe. Yeah. <laughs> and in Canada, we're like, we let a second spy balloon I, I think there's been a second spy balloon that went over us and we didn't do anything about it. And then the third one is the one that got shot down. It's like, what the hell? Like, the, if anything ha proves that Canada does not know how to defend ourselves, it's this. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's shameful. So uh, I guess can't wait till we get them F-35s. But allegedly, the uh, the Sidewinder missile that was used to shoot down the one over South Carolina is like a $400,000 missile. So uh, maybe Justin Trudeau just wanted to save, uh, save on the budget for the armed forces. <laughs> yeah, well, we're going to learn in the, one of our next uh, topics that it's, 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 that's all it's about is budget. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, well, let's get into Canadians' personal budgets first. Now, Pierre Poiliev was, was announced just a couple of days ago, I think when he was at an event in Windsor, that the cost of retirement has gone up 20% to uh, where the average Canadian will need $1.7 million to retire. Now, uh, before the show, you had said that figure seems kind of low. And as we kind of discussed it, it's 
it's really kind of nuanced. And I think that the, when they say 50% of Canadians are concerned about retiring, well, that's probably the 50% of Canadians who are over 40 or over 45 who are, you know, suddenly starting to think about retirement. And I don't think that a lot of Canadians assume they're going to have to save up $1.7 million and set that in a bank account when they're 65 and live off it till the day they die. And if that's what, what Paul was referring to, I think that's a little misleading. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I, I don't think, I don't think that that's wrong. I mean, I, I think like it, the 1.7 million is actually a bit light. I think, um, uh, because I mean, if you think about it, when you retire at 65, you have possibly another 35 years to go and $1.7 million, is not really enough money. I mean, you could be living off the interest for, uh, you know, for the first, probably for the first while you can, you can get by with living off just the interest. Um, especially if you retire properly, which is debt free. You don't have a mortgage. You don't have car payments. You don't have uh, any credit card debt. Nothing like that. If you if you retire with no debt, uh, if you have one point seven million in the bank, like uh, you should be able to live off the interest for a little while. But as inflation grows and interest, you know, uh, and the interest rates rise, which co- which causes the prices of everything to go up. So as inf- inflation keeps rolling along. Um, I think that, you know, eventually you won't be able to live off the interest anymore. You're going to have to start digging into that principle to, to, uh, be able to survive. Um, it's, uh, we were always told like we've been, we've been putting away for, for retirement for a number of years. Um, my wife and I like probably, I'm going to say it's probably been almost since we got married. So probably 20 years. And, um, uh, I can tell you that even after 20 years, I got nowhere near that. Uh, it's, I luckily, I still have 20 years to go, but I just don't have anywhere near that because it costs a fortune to raise kids. I've got one that's graduating high school this year and another in three years. And, uh, they're both going to post-secondary and, and it's like, I don't know how I'm going to save that money. Um, you know, it's uh, the thing is, is that CPP was never meant to be relied on for for uh, for retirement. It was may it was meant to be a supplement to the savings you already have. And um, unfortunately, as with anything, the government offers people for you know, quote unquote, free. I mean, it wasn't free. We paid for it. Uh, but um, just like healthcare, it's it wasn't free. We pay, we pay for it. Um, but people have this idea that it's free, and they go, "Well, there's Canadian pension plan. I don't need to save. You well, know, I can point. live off yeah. that." Well, no, no, you you can't live off of that. You can't. It it's it's not very much money. And it, and it's it's shocking actually because of old age old age security being another thing that you get. Um, what really pisses me off is that if you save and save and save and save your whole life, 
you sacrifice your whole life to save for your retirement, you will get less from old age security than someone who never saved at all. Like we know, I, my, we, we know people who are retired, uh, whether they're family members or not. We know people who are retired and I know how much they actually get. And the ones that didn't save anything get more money from the government than those who paid into the system and who, uh, who, who did save. Like we live in a country where you get punished for doing what you're supposed to do. And yeah. whether it's try to try to get ahead in life, every time you make more money than you did the last time, you get moved into a higher tax bracket and you get more of your money taken away. You are trying to, you know, uh, save, like build your business. But if you leave more than a certain amount of money in your business at the end of the, at the end of the fiscal year, you get taxed on the money you left in the business. Um, even though you already paid tax on it. Um, if you have, um, if you, if you save your whole life for retirement, then you retire, you get penalized by not getting any, you know, very much money or any money from old age security. It's, we just keep punishing people for doing what they were supposed to do. And we keep rewarding people for not doing what they were supposed to do. Yeah. Well, and actually on that vein, uh, Interest rates, uh, well, they're holding the line right now, but with the cost of inflation and everything else, it's making it even tougher and tougher for Canadians to survive. Now, as you know, Canada, we listen to a lot of radical leftist shows or and read some radical left papers so that you don't have to. Well, on the CBC show I was listening to, they'd interviewed a gentleman in Toronto and he bought himself a condo a couple of years ago when the market was pretty much at its peak. And he had a variable interest rate mortgage. And so now, of course, they've he's extended the term of his mortgage and they've increased his payment. And he's still not able to get anything down on the principal of his mortgage. So he was the, the base of the story is, of course, the market has gone insane. And he said he actually could have bought a seaside villa in Dubai for what he paid for his condo in Toronto. So I said, well, comparatively, yeah, that's expensive. And yeah, the Toronto market is is starting to uh, soften, but not nearly to the you know level where he can get his mortgage back down to where he can actually start getting ahead again. And that was the the key of the story is that people are just continuing to fall behind. And rents, average rent in Canada for your basic two bedroom apartment is over two thousand dollars now. And uh, listener Mackenzie, we got a voice message from him the other day. Uh, thank you, Mackenzie, for always being here for us. He was actually on the east coast of the country and had a good conversation. Rex is going to play a, a message for us here right now. Hey, Lewis and Tony, uh, Mackenzie here. I just wanted to share a little story with you guys. Um, so I'm out in Nova Scotia right now um, doing a little bit of work at one of my homes. And uh, I ran into a waitress who was talking to me about rental prices and stuff like that. Um, well, she has a little one-year-old uh, single mother, and she explained to me that she's been looking for quite a while for a spot to rent, and she went to the bank to see about purchasing 
uh, one of those double wide mobile homes and the bank wouldn't cut her a mortgage where her mortgage payment would be roughly $800 a month. She told me she's at the point now just to put a roof over her head. She would be happy to spend $1,700 a month out of her pay so that she can have a roof for her and her boy. That's the reality that we're facing here in Canada. And it's sad. That's that's the, the market that we're in. It doesn't really matter where you are in the country. People could actually afford a mortgage that was, say, a thousand bucks a month, but yet you can't get that mortgage, but you can rent for two thousand. It's uh it's insane. I mean, it's no wonder we can't afford to live in this country. Yeah. And I mean part of the problem is, is that you have to have a down payment, right? Like if you don't have a down payment, you are not getting a mortgage. Um, but it's, yeah, there's this fallacy out there that, that the Maritimes are cheap. Like, I'm sorry, but they're not. I mean, I, I was out there in August for, for a week. Uh, and my wife and I, while we were out there thought, Hmm, let's just out of curiosity, let's say, have a look at real estate. Right. Um, yeah, no, uh, I mean, Halifax is as expensive as anywhere in this country. Um, the even rural towns, like a house is cheaper. Yes. You can get a lot more house for the same amount of money, but there, the other expenses are higher. Um, like, uh, my buddy moved out there last year. And in the summer, he was paying $500 a month for heating oil for hot water. Um, because there's five or six of them to live. I, I can't remember. I think one of, I think his, uh, his kids were with him at the time. So he probably had six people in that house uh, during the summer. And between, you know, hot water for showers and um, uh, for um, laundry and then doing your cooking and all that kind of stuff. Heating oil was 500 bucks a month. And, uh, uh, you know, we don't pay anywhere near that for natural gas out here or for uh, electricity. The, you know, gas and diesel were, were way higher out there than they were here. Um, there's, there's uh, you know, a lot of uh, food, food was something that we noticed was more expensive out on the East coast too. So, I mean, there's this, there is no like Nirvana in this country. Like there is no, no location that is, uh, cheap and cheerful. <laughs> it's like, there, there just isn't like, if you want cheap and cheerful, you got to leave the country period because Canada overall from coast to coast to coast is one of the most expensive places on earth. Yeah, that, that's, that's true. And I mean, that's uh, when Pierre Poilievre has driven that point home with the cost of housing, like he said, only New Zealand is in a worse situation than we are. And New Zealand is a couple of islands. So you can kind of get why housing would be more expensive there because there just isn't room. And yet in Canada, where we've got the second largest land mass on earth, and where 89% of land in this country is crown land, we can't seem to build houses or enough houses. Like it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And I mean, it takes forever to get a development permit approved in this country. Um, 
it uh, it takes forever to get building permits approved. Um, it, it's just a a complete crap show, and there isn't a single government in this country that is actually you know, making things easier to get built or to, um, you know, get get new developments approved. Uh, it's just, it's just ridiculous. And and then on top of it, you've got the interest rates that have gone sky high uh, and um, not accomplishing what they were supposed to accomplish, which was to get the uh, inflation rate down. And who, I got a question for you, Tony. Who said that we could find ourselves in stagflation where the interest rates were going to go up really high, the economy was going to become stagnant or actually go into recession and still have ridiculous high inflation? Oddly enough, I'm glad you mentioned that because... I'd written that word stagflation in the notes for the show today because there was some small podcast where they've got these two dumbasses from rural Canada who've been bringing this up for well over a year. Well, that was us. Yes, you're, you're right. It was us. And again, Canada, I really hate being right about stuff like this because being right about stuff like this means that I was right about Canadians not being able to afford their bills. And, and that's what's happening. And that's what's happening. We've got sky high interest rates, sky high inflation. The economy has basically stopped. I mean, I think it's stagnant at the moment. It could actually be in recession. Um, I have noticed it in my personal business that the phone is just not ringing the way it was in the past. Um, like at this time of year i should be i should be getting um you know 10 to 12 calls a day and being extremely busy trying to follow up on those calls and i just am not i'm getting about three calls a week right now and um so it has slowed right down um for me uh, i know people who are in uh transport who've said that the shipment shipments have have slowed down a lot um companies are just not buying product and everything right now it's it's really it's really worrisome it, it has slowed down a lot yeah that is sad so well i guess keep hanging on canada i mean our our uh, personal household debt is if it's not a record high it's got to be close we are a dollar 82 right now compared to every dollar that we earn. And that is, uh, well, that, that's painful in itself. That is record a high. That is a record high. It okay. Uh, it, it's, and, and I believe the rate of uh, insolvencies in Canada have gone up by 37% um, in, uh, in the past year. So, I mean, that's something that I think Pierre Polyev has been talking about uh, this past week. Um, I mean, that's, that is scary. That's really scary that insolvencies are up that much. And that yeah. is not, that's not just personal. That is, uh, uh, that is, uh, business as well. 
like business uh, bankruptcies are up that much as well. Yeah, I think he's added the numbers because I think I saw a figure that said the uh, corporate bankruptcies were up for insolvencies, I should say, were up 23%. I think that might have been an Ontario figure. And then personal insolvencies were up 15 to 17% or something. So he may have been combining those two numbers, but I mean, and he can because that's just, uh, you've got the business on one side, you've got personal on the other side. Well, the two need each other. So this is just going to get worse. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, speaking of getting worse, let's uh, quickly talk about the now former mayor of Toronto, John Tory. And uh, it, it ticked me off as soon as I dug into this story a little bit. So the Coles notes is John Tory resigned as mayor of Toronto, effective this past Friday the 10th, after it was revealed that he had an affair with uh, a staff member in his office. And I thought, well, that's horrible. He just got reelected four months ago. And he goes and gets gets elected and then has an affair. And then it turns out, Lewis, that, oh, it wasn't just a recent affair. This actually happened a little while ago. Yeah, so I'm sorry I got caught. I'm going to quit. Exactly. And that's he, what ticked me off the most, because this happened apparently during the pandemic when we were all in lockdown. So I'm guessing those two were in the same bubble. <laughs> uh, sorry that was bad uh, anyway um, so uh they have this affair when the pandemic was on so john tory fully knows at that point in time that he's a scumbag but yet still runs for re-election four months ago and wins and then suddenly the uh it gets exposed so whether it's from the person who he was with or someone who knows him news gets out and suddenly now oh, whoops, now I'm going to resign because I got caught. And just like we talked about last week with our new uh, Islamophobia czar, it's a situation of, I'm not necessarily sorry, I'm just sorry that I got caught. And I'm getting tired of this from our politicians. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm not going to say that that's a new thing either. I mean, it's always been like that. Totally. And politicians, since the beginning of time, time have always said i'm sorry for getting caught not for doing it um and but i mean john tory he's been nothing but a, a oh, i don't even know what word to use for him i mean a creep a uh um someone that has allegedly misused taxpayer money um he's you know he's always been in some kind of controversy right yeah that's true and i mean he had actually had increased the the budget for the mayor's office this year to 2.9 million which was up about 15 percent and I mean, yeah he's always had this sort of air of arrogance and smugness to him even back when he was the official opposition leader in mid uh 2000s 2005 to 7 somewhere in that range but uh don't worry, Lewis. I know you might be concerned about his retirement because he is 68 years old. Well, as mayor of Toronto, his salary has been right around the $200,000 range. So in eight years as Toronto mayor, he's actually got that $1.7 million. So he uh, he may be able to retire. It's okay. You don't have to worry about him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I won't. Yeah. <laughs> I promise I won't worry about him. Excellent. Don't let the right. door hit you on the way out. 
Well, exactly. Yeah. So from one waste of government money to another, you wanted to talk a little healthcare today. Yeah. I so healthcare is forever in the news. Um, it has this past, you know, week and a half or so, it's or a couple of weeks, it's been in the news daily just because of the uh the deal that the federal government and the provincial leaders are trying to hammer out. And um, you know, they had a meeting in Ottawa on Monday or Tuesday um, to discuss the proposal that the federal government was laying out for funding, which included, uh, uh, what was it, a hundred, no, I can't remember. I can't remember how much more money it was, but it was a lot. 146, uh, I think it was. Okay, 146. I knew it was over 100, but yeah. 146 billion dollars extra in healthcare funding for the provinces. Um, but in typical liberal fashion, they want all kinds of strings attached. Um, now, the thing is, is that healthcare is a provincial is provincial jurisdiction. The healthcare act is federal. The money is supposed to be 50-50, provincial and federal. Uh, but back when Jean Chrétien was in office, uh, he was under pressure by you know, the, the uh, Reform Party to balance the budget. So they did that by raiding the EI fund and slashing healthcare funding on the, provincial, or on the federal side. Um, it was. It used to be 50-50, and Jean Chrétien dropped it down to 17% federal funding. Uh, that has slowly climbed a bit to 20-some percent. I think it's like close to right around 24 to 25% federal funding. Uh, they want that to increase again. They, they, the provinces want the federal portion to go back up to 50%. Uh, um, in the end, I guess, you know, it really doesn't matter where the money comes from because it's there's only one taxpayer in this country. Um, I just I just want healthcare fixed. Um, I mean, we we've been talking about it in my household that if one of us got cancer right now, um, we'll we'll do what we have to. And we'll get down to the U.S. and get the treatment. Uh, because in Canada right now, you are waiting eight weeks in B.C. to get cancer surgery, like to have the tumor removed. Eight weeks. If you know you have cancer, you've done a biopsy, it comes back positive that it's cancer. It is eight weeks before you can have that tumor removed. Eight weeks. Um, I know people who have died faster than that after finding out that they have cancer um this is it's unacceptable um but the reason we're talking about this is because in this past week it has come more to light um on why we actually have a doctor and nurse shortage in this country well healthcare professionals 
professionals, period, lab techs, uh, you know, x-ray technicians, everything. Why we have shortages of everything. But right now, the big concern is doctors and nurses, especially doctors. And it was a, an article that was written. Um, I'm trying to remember who it was that wrote it. Um, God, was it Spencer Fernando or uh, no, I don't think it was Spencer Fernando. It was what it was like. It was an independent uh, journalist that wrote this article. <clears throat> I'm going to have to go back and look and we'll we'll uh, give them credit next next episode. Um, and the what it is, is that and the reason that this came about was because Jason. Uh, David Eby, the premier of BC, was on question period with Vashi Capellos last Sunday. And he was talking about why, you know, how BC is cracking down on private clinics, private surgical facilities, private, you know, healthcare delivery, and wanting to bring it back all in-house, bring it all back into the public system. And Vashi Capellos, um, you know, pushed back on this a bit. And he said, you know, that the, the, the public system can do it cheaper and do it better, which we all know is BS because anybody who's ever been to a private clinic or a private MRI facility or a private surgical clinic in this country knows that the private system actually does a much better job in every possible way. Um, and he said that the private, the private clinics can do it better, they can do it cheaper and all of this, but that the private clinics, or sorry, the public clinics can do it all cheaper and better, but the private clinics are gonna take all the doctors and nurses away from the public system. Well, if they're gonna take those healthcare professionals away from the public system, wouldn't, doesn't that kind of indicate that the private system is better? Um, I mean, there's the the public system has limits on how many uh, how many days in a year a surgeon can actually operate on patients, and right now it is, I believe, uh, well, no, not I believe. I know for a fact it is one day a week. They're only allowed to operate one day a week. Your orthopedic surgeon can only operate one day a week. Your cancer surgeon can only operate one day a week. That's why we have waiting lists that are so long and why people actually do die in Canada waiting for their surgeries. They do. They actually die waiting for the surgeries here. Yeah. And it's um, 11,000 a year. Yeah. It's high. It's really high. And, and so this all takes me back to the comments that Rod Gil Giltaka from the CCFR, from the Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights, when he was on our show last Friday, and he said that these are bad people. The people running our country are bad people. And he caught me off guard when he said that a little bit. Because I was chalking things up to incompetence, and not not just incompetence. I mean, I did know that they, you know, that they have this un, 
unwarranted um, uh, uh, fear and and hatred of of you know firearms owners in this country, uh, the leadership of this country. Um, but I never chalked it up to them actually being bad people. I chalked it up to being you know uneducated about the topic and incompetent. But when but now when he said that it really got me thinking and i've really started thinking about things in a different way when when i when i look at the problems that this country is facing and i and i more and more i think he's right i think he is right the people running our governments are bad people they know that the decisions they're making are not good for us they know that making healthcare 100% publicly funded and and delivered is not good for Canada. It is not good for Canadians. More people will die waiting for surgeries. More people will have terrible outcomes from their uh, dealings with the healthcare system. The, the more people will be on waiting lists. More, more people are going to suffer, yet they do it anyway. The same thing, um, because here's the thing. And this is what we learned in this article that was written by that independent journalist whose name I will get for us for next episode, is that the government puts artificial limitations on how many students can start medical school every year. They are artificially limited to certain numbers of doctor, of, of, of students going in, into and to become doctors. They put limits on how many people can get in to be uh, lab techs and nurses. They actually limit how many people can get in. And it's, it's actually not very many, as we learned in that article. Some schools are limited to less than 20 students a year that can, get, that can start training to be doctors there are more than that retiring from the system every year and we are we are admitting fewer students to become doctors and nurses and lab techs than are retiring and we and, and you hear about all these uh foreign credentials that we do not um recognize and that we have to change this and you hear all the premiers talking about how we need to do better in recognizing foreign credentials we have to start recognizing foreign credentials because we've got doctors that are driving ubers we've got people uh who are qualified nurses who are you know pushing brooms or working as a cashier and all of this kind of stuff, instead of being doctors and nurses, they're doing jobs they were never trained for that, that, and they're not doing the job they were trained for, and that we have to get better at recognizing these foreign credentials, and we have to start, you know, processing these people and getting them into the jobs that they are trained for. And that's something we've been hearing a lot from every premier in this country for the last couple of weeks. And what we learned in that article is that that's not true. It is true 
that we are not recognizing foreign credentials. It is true that these foreign doctors and nurses are working in jobs they were not trained for and they are not working in the medical system. That is all true. What is not true is that they are not trying to get foreign credentials recognized. And the reason is because of budget. Because the healthcare system cannot pay those people to be doctors and nurses because there's not enough money in the system. Even though healthcare makes up 50 to 60% of every provincial government's budget. And we don't have enough money to pay these people to be doctors and nurses, and that's why we don't recognize their credentials. Not because their credentials are not worthy, not because they are not valid, but because we don't want to pay them. That's why those doctors, those foreign doctors and foreign nurses are not working as doctors and nurses in Canada. No other reason. It is because we don't want to pay them. Yep, and you're going to love this, Canada, because not only do we, are, are the bad people in government not willing to expand the enrollment numbers in our medical schools, there's a private hospital in Toronto called the Shouldice Clinic. The Shouldice is, well, I've known about it for the past 20-odd years because not only is it a private facility, that's where all the MPs go when they've got a problem so that they can get to the front of the line and not suffer equally with the rest of us. So when you want to talk about bad people, Lewis, yeah, they really are bad people because they're, they're there to, to uh, I mean, okay, I'll say it again. 338 of the dumbest Canadians gather in Parliament Hill to tell us how to live while they themselves will just jump ahead of the line and go to the shoulder ice when they have a problem. Yeah. The shoulder ice clinic is, is, pretty much there for the House of Commons. Um, that's, it, it, it's, it's a private hospital and all of our, our Canadian politicians use it. That's where they go. They go to a private hospital while the rest of us have to suffer and die on waiting lists. The I've talked about this before on the show. I'm going to bring it up one more time. There was, this is the difference between private and, and public in Canada. There was a, a, a hospital in Vancouver called Shaughnessy Hospital. Their MRI machine was being used for roughly 12 hours a day. Uh, the other 12 hours a day, it was sitting idle, not being used. Because there's, there's not enough budget to run that machine 24 hours a day. The healthcare, the public healthcare system could not afford to run the MRI machine 24 hours a day. So it sat there for 12 hours a day, not being used. A private clinic approached the hospital, worked out a deal to rent the machine from the hospital. So their customer, their, their, their clients would come to the hospital in the middle of the night and use the MRI machine in the middle of the night when it's not being used by anybody else. Taking those people, those patients out of the lineup. So anybody who is in the lineup is now that much closer to getting 
their MRI done during the day. So these people would come to the hospital at 3 a.m., 4 a.m., get their MRIs, and then get treated. The other people in the line, their line would get shorter, and they would get through the system faster and get treatment faster. When the public found out about the machine being rented by this private clinic, the public outcry was insane. And they shut down, they can't, the, the, pub, the BC Health canceled that deal. And all of those people who were going in the middle of the night to get their MRIs were back in the queue and made that queue twice as long. And now everybody's suffering equally again. Nobody is, you know, making that line shorter. That machine was only, again, running only 12 hours a day, not running 24 hours a day like it was. And there's more people suffering and more people dying because of that. You want to tell me that it's because it's got to be fair? No, kiss my backside. It is not about being fair. It is about being in control. The, the, these are bad people. They make decisions they know are bad for us, but they do them anyway because it keeps them in office. This, it's all about them. It is not about us. It's about them. And the sooner we realize that, maybe we can start making changes in this country. Yep, that's really well said. So we'll actually segue that into our last topic for the day is that some Canadians finally are trying to make some changes in this country. Um, the battle against wokeism is something we've talked about a lot on this show. And, well, it, it's still running rapid. I mean, we've got a, a story we actually shared on our Facebook page about the... Uh, the lady who was a social worker in Ontario was fired from her job because she dared to support Jordan Peterson. And we know that we talked about on the last couple episodes that there was a lot of groups in Ottawa trying to cancel Jordan Peterson's speaking event there. And well, I got to say that I uh, got to bring it back to Western Canada. Unfortunately, there was a, going to be a drag queen event in Calgary that was preemptively canceled because of a, planned protest that the Calgary mayor Jody Gondek said was was quote um rooted in hate and how would she know that I'm not sure because the protest was only planned and hadn't gone on and then we come here to my own city in Saskatoon where at a leisure center um, not actually very far from where I live was a trans identified male who was walking around naked in the ladies' change room where there were girls present for their swim classes and whatnot. And, well, the local counselor for that area just said, well, society's changing. What are you going to do? Well, what are we going to do is there's been protests every weekend since at that pool. So I don't know if I can say there's hope, but at least the wokeness is maybe getting to its peak. Maybe people are finally starting to realize that this is BS. I have to ask myself, would any of those politicians like the mayor of Calgary and this councillor in Saskatoon, or even the mayor of Ottawa for that matter, would any one of them have gotten as outraged or stood up to defend, well, Jordan Peterson, for example? We see it didn't happen in Ottawa. 
Yeah. I mean, luckily in Ottawa, none of those, not even a single protester actually showed up to the event, which kind of says a lot. Um, it does. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I mean, we have out here in the Okanagan in BC, we had the, th uh, the same thing with a drag queen story hour in Kelowna. Um, lots of protests. There's a, a there's a uh, uh, petition to have it canceled. I, I honestly, I don't know if it was canceled or not, but um, the amount of support for it is quite shocking. Um, it, it's uh, it's not what I expected. I I kind of thought that parents would be a little bit more vigilant about what it is that their kids actually see, but sadly i was wrong i i don't i don't know that parents actually understand what is going on here like this is this is social engineering at its finest this is this is uh you know grooming it's and, and when i say grooming it's not like necessarily grooming to to abuse like sexually abuse children this is more grooming them to to find things acceptable and support these things when they are so young, they don't know the difference between right and wrong. Um, and there's, like I said before, I think I've said it on this show, there is a line from a song that I just really, really love. And that line is, if there was nothing right, there would be nothing wrong. And this is one of those things that is wrong and it is if it was if 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 because the one thing i hear that the argument i hear is it, it what's the big deal it doesn't matter that they're that they're uh uh drag queens and all this yeah yeah it does you're the one making it about that it's called drag queen story hour if it wasn't important that it was a drag queen, why is it called Drag Queen Story Hour? Like that's, it's obviously all about that. Like just because I notice that you're doing a thing doesn't make me the bad person. No, that's right. Like yeah, I, I notice that you're doing these things. Don't get mad at me for noticing what you're trying to do. Like, it's it's a good thing there are people out there who are noticing what you're trying to do. Like, you, it's it's not that you're doing a bad thing that you get that that people are upset. It's that they're upset that we noticed they're doing a bad thing. Yeah, see, Dan Bongino has said this on his show a few different times in the, in the past, and the said the you know the argument from the the woke crowd and the left is often, hey, that's not happening, but but it's good that it is, and yeah. that's exactly what this is. I mean, oh, it's not just drag queen story hour, but it's a drag queen story hour, right? So, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I, I just don't understand. I mean. Have you here? Here's something about uh, how woke may be at its peak and maybe uh, something that's going to finally start falling to the wayside. Faulty Towers is making a comeback. Oh, uh, 
like there's going to be a new version of Faulty Towers and the producers of the show have said this show will not be woke. Awesome. So that may be an indication that wokeism is is uh, finally starting to wane. Um, I, I it's it, it's always amazing to me how far things have to get before people realize what's happening. Um, and I mean, I, I you notice it with firearms, with with uh, taxes, with um, wokeism, uh, all kinds of things. The corruption in government, like how bad things have to get before people go, hey, I see what you're doing now, right? It's like our prime minister has only been caught many, many times doing things he shouldn't be doing. And only now are people going, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> and I mean, we've been talking about it for years, years. Yeah. What, what well, he's been doing. True. Right. And it's like, it's like nobody's trying to take your guns away, but we're going to take all your guns away. And it only, it, it took, it took them trying to ban some hunting rifles for people to take notice and go, Hey, they're trying to take all the guns away. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it, it just blows my mind how far things have to go before people go, I see what you're doing. Right. It's like, it's like they're taking a, a, a wet fish and just slapping us across the face a whole bunch of times. And we're going, huh, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. And then finally, you go hey you're hitting me with a wet fish like like <laughs> what is wrong with people that they don't see these things yeah no that's uh you're absolutely right and that's probably a good spot as any to to wrap the show up on is that maybe canadians finally are waking up canada so uh hey we got a quasi positive note to end the show on that's uh that's something else <laughs> 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 All right, Canada, we want to thank you for joining us again today. And until next week, it is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. Good night. Good night, Canada. <laughs>